he says, I think I had a creative ligament get stretched, like an injury to his mind after it. I mean, he's talking about exhaustion. He's sick. I mean, he, he writes this thing with the last like gusto he's got, and then he sends it out, and it does... Hey, welcome back to The Craft, where we explore the creative process. My name's Colby, and I'm a marketer, product manager, and music producer. And I'm Carter, a writer and PhD student at the University of Kentucky. And today we get to talk about John Steinbeck. This is going to be the first episode of a kind of new series experiment we're running here on The Craft, where we do an artistic case study, essentially. We want to take the take a compelling story from an artist that we've been inspired by and kind of jump off from there and just talk about their creative life, their practices, what, try to reverse engineer a little bit, what made them tick and how, how can we learn lessons from their creative process? And I don't know, this is the kind of stuff that we're talking about all the time. So I think it'll just be a very natural outflow of the kind of conversations that we love. So I'm really excited about it. Carter's going to kick off the first one today with Steinbeck, like I said, but I also think I have picked my first uh, profile. So I'm excited for that. I don't know if I want to say it yet. I'll hold off, but yeah, I'm, ex- I'm excited for this series. Is there anything else you want to add like to the intro here of like what this series is or why we're doing it? Other than the intrigue of, I don't even know which one you're thinking about doing. It's exciting. Yeah, I think this, we're, we're always inspired by the lives of creatives. And I think we wanted to kind of share some of that inspiration on the craft. And so a lot of the craft is we try to do the thing that we like to listen to. You know, you, you've heard advice, write the thing you want to read, make the music you want to listen to. Like, we like this. And so that's a lot of why we're doing it. I love learning about artists. Just the other day, I was watching a YouTube lecture on Caravaggio, the, the Renaissance painter. So I was like, mm. I just love learning about artists. Well, I think it's the story. Like hearing, you see yourself in other people's stories. You see, you connect to something. Like there's something, I'm always drawn to those YouTube videos that deconstruct how they made the album or the story behind the book. You know, the story behind the story, the the sit down with the director. You know, that stuff really totally. draws me in. And so I think totally. that's kind of what we want to do is look for those stories. Like another great example, I was listening to the, like Founders Podcast, one of the best shows. Totally check that out if you're interested in not even just business, but there's some really good episodes on some more creative fields. Like they did a whole episode on the biography of James Cameron. And so I watched Avatar this week, but yeah, man, I think it's kind of in that similar vein of founders, like looking, reading the books, listening to the shows and pulling out those stories and sharing them here about these great artists. Yeah, that's great. Well, let's let's get into things. John Steinbeck is a American writer of the 20th century, born in 1902, died in 1968. Uh, he's in California. He's doing tons of on-the-ground research for his work. The ones that people will know from him are the novels, usually, of Mice and Men, as well as The Grapes of Wrath, which won the Pulitzer, and then he eventually won the Nobel Prize in literature as well. So he's a big deal in American lit. He is one of my favorite writers. I'm working on him in my dissertation. I'm actually working on a chapter on Stomach right now, so it's perfect time. And Stomach deals with a lot of themes. He deals with themes of social pressure, and he deals with themes of economic injustice. But more so, at the bottom of everything, he's dealing with really what it means to be human. And so the people in his novels are deeply, deeply human. And they struggle with problems, and they search for reconciliation, and they're funny, and they're tragic, and you love them, and you hate them. Bob Dylan has this great line. He says, 
everybody you meet is a character from a Steinbeck novel at some point in time, which is, which is just a great line. But that pretty much sets things up. I could talk a long time about Steinbeck, but I want to bring us in on a creative crisis that he had. So Steinbeck finishes Grapes of Wrath in 1939. He had just turned, I believe he was 38, no, 37. And late 30s, he's had early success with Of Mice and Men, kind of put him on the map. But then Grapes of Wrath just absolutely blows up in 1939. So he finished it in 38, it's published in 39, and then all of a sudden, he basically overnight becomes a famous writer. He's got tons of fan mail, he's got tons of hate mail, death threats. The book itself was very incendiary because of its depiction of the plight of migrants in California. So you had a lot of Californians that thought it was a bad view of the farmers. You had people thinking that it was communist propaganda, which it wasn't. You had people accusing it, you know, using it as propaganda, but it wasn't. And so it basically creates this giant culture wars, as we would think about it, about the book. And Steinbeck is, you know, kind of blown away by this reception. Like, he runs away from it. Like, it scares him to death. He's exhausted after composing the novel. I mean, he put absolutely everything into it. He had some medical issues at the end. He talks about, he says, I think I had a creative ligament get stretched, like 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 an injury to his mind after it. I mean, he's talking about exhaustion. He's sick. I mean, he he writes this thing with the last, like, like gusto he's got and then he sends it out and it does way better than than you know he could ever imagine and so this occurs and it's just really tumultuous and he is in a lot of ways kind of sick of the response like he he was a very private guy and so the response is really overwhelming and he decides after this, that he has taken the novel as far as he could get it. And so I want to read, I want to read a quote that I, that's just terrific. He talks about how after The Grapes of Wrath, he wants to completely transform himself as an artist. He says, that part of my life that made grapes is over. I can be born again, must be. I have to go to new sources. I have to find new roots which is, it's just this time of transformation for him. And he really talks about having to, to leave the novel. He says he has to find a new discipline in, in his next book. He writes to his uncle, the new work must jump to include other species beside the human. I want to you know, integrate my interest to in biology and ecology. He's talking about in, in one letter that you know, he thinks he's done the best novel that he could possibly do. He wants to leave novels. And so this is like a dramatic shift in genre. And he doesn't. He writes more novels <laughs> over his career. Uh, but I want to just bring our attention in to, to what he does. He finishes a work the, the cultural reaction is tumultuous, and what he does is he goes to sea. He goes and takes a nautical expedition with his best friend, Ed Ricketts, who is a biologist, and he goes off to write what he calls the Song of the Microscope. And basically, he sets off to do another mode of thinking, he calls it. He switches gears. He, he immediately, you know, he's using still the tools of a novelist, but they write this book called The Sea of Cortez, and it is part travel narrative, 
that Steinbeck wrote, and then it's also part marine catalog. So they catalog marine life in the tide pools. And so he goes off and he creates this document that's still being used as a touchstone for his life and his thinking, because so much of his thinking that occurs in other novels and in other places is happening in the Sea of Cortez. And so he leaves the novel, he goes off, he goes on this adventure, and he tries to completely transform himself. And obviously, he fails in that you never really leave yourself, but he does transform into a thinker here that's really complex, where he's using both the skills of a novelist and this new idea of writing scientific poetry, he called it. It creates this wonderful document that I'm looking at my dissertation, but it was so important for him kind of personally. And that's what I wanted to pull in on with this story is that we see success. We see success bring him something that was not pleasant. Like like he didn't enjoy the notoriety. He's been working, you know, his whole life practically to become the famous established writer. And then he becomes it and it's terrifying. And so at the end of one project and in what seemed like a collapse, you know, he he tries to go forward by transforming. And I thought that this is just a really inspiring story that he's not afraid of trying to replicate the grapes of wrath. And that was something he felt people wanted him to do. Write more like that. Write more like that. And even right after he published it, he's like, no, I'm like, I'm done with that. I've done it. I think this is the best that I can do with it. It's time for me to go do something else. And this was really invigorating for him. There was also some problems with his marriage is starting, his first marriage is starting to fall apart during this time with the new fame and different personal factors. And so it was a really, really difficult time for him, not only personally, but also creatively. And it's just neat to see that the Sea of Cortez worked as kind of a way forward for him. And so the way forward was not trying to, I don't know, capitalize on the new fame or or go write another bestseller, you know, Grapes of Wrath. It was to say, I'm never going to write a novel again. I mean, that's basically what he tells people. I'm going to go do something totally different. And it's just inspiring to me that he had the foresight to do that, right? He, he has been a novelist. He's written two of Mice and Men. He was working on the movie adaption at this time. You know, it was incredibly popular. And instead of just kind of doubling down on the things that he's doing, like he has the kind of creative courage to go off and try something else. And so I think, you know, it was inspiring to me, but I also think it's a great kind of prescription of, you know, in times where there is a lot of creative friction, let's call it, maybe after a project or after a season of work, I think it can be immensely helpful to go and set off to try something new like the the value of of going on a creative adventure of something that you haven't done before that you don't know how to do that you're figuring out as you do it and that can be a great way to reignite the work i mean for him i mean it literally came to a screeching stop in 1938 and then he picks back up you know with their expedition in 1940 and so you know he took a lot of time off he was working some with you know getting the movie ironed out but he took time off he changed directions and he moved forward. And he goes on to produce, you know, one of the best novels later in his career in 1952, East of Eden, which is maybe my favorite Steinbeck novel. And so he's, he, even though he thought he was done with the novel, he wasn't. But this was part of getting him there. Leaving it behind was part of him eventually coming back to it. 
And so I thought that was just, it's an interesting, it's a cool story, I thought, of, you know, creative collapse, Mm. but then in some ways kind of a creative resurrection in a new direction. And so then just to make sure I get this, this like timeline right, this happens around 1938 to 1940. Sea of Cortez comes out in 1941, I think. Yes. And then basically the next 10 years, he's writing more nonfiction. And then 1952, East of Eden comes out. That's the next novel he writes after Grapes of Wrath. Is that right? There are any other novels in between there? Like, I'm just trying to, di- like, basically, did he take a whole decade off? Or was it, because I've got the, like, the list of books here, but I just want to make sure they're accurate. So he does write some novellas for the war. So 1940s, oh, the, moon is down. the Moon is Down. He writes okay, that one. So that's like a couple years in. I mean, that's not, or maybe yeah, two, four, five years later. It was propaganda for the Allies. It's a really good piece. And it actually was pretty terrible propaganda because they thought it was too compassionate to the people that were occupying uh, <laughs> this 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 uh, European town. Um Cannery Row, I believe, is his next mm-hmm. novel. The Wayward Bus. Yeah, Wayward Bus is not till after. What's do, do you have publication dates on some of those? Yeah, so it says, I mean, this is ChatGPT, so I got to get that <laughs> okay. disclaimer. But yeah, it yeah, says, yeah. Moon is Down, 1942, Cannery Row, 1945, Wayward Bus, 1947, The Pearl, 1947, Burning Bright, 1950, then East yeah. of Eden. Yeah, so there are, some, there are some novels in between. So I guess, yeah, I, I was missing that. Yeah, Cannery Rose really popular, but it's very different than Grapes of Wrath in, in his early writing. So it is also kind of an experiment in a lot of ways, even though there's some continuity in his thought. The Wayward Bus is not really considered that great, and it's not it's not super good. <laughs> but East of Eden is he's called kind of like what he's been working at his whole career. I mean, he's got a line in a letter. He says, you know, this is my big book. This is the one I'm leaving behind. Everything's worked towards it. And so it's neat to see that in perspective that. Although it seemed that way in 1952, a decade earlier, he was ready to be done with the novel for the rest of his life. And he did at least take from like 1938 to 19, 1942, The Moon is Down. And it's it's different. It's like you said, it's propaganda. It's like yeah. different purpose, all that. So he's taking four plus years of like transformation and change, basically. Yeah. Amazing story, man. That was awesome. Okay, cool. It's always encouraging, I think, in some ways for me to see great artists <laughs> like struggling in a in a like a good way like man it's not easy for them they're they're doubting their work he's he the last journal entry he sends when he sends off the grapes of wrath manuscripts he says god i hope this is good <laughs> that's what he says like when he sends off the grapes <laughs> of wrath so it's like man here's the guy who wrote the grapes of wrath being like man i just hope this is good and there's just such a i don't know there's such an encouragement encouragement in that for me so there's a couple things that stood out to me in the story yeah. Like one, he's like pushing so hard that he like breaks the creative ligament or whatever, yes. stretches the creative ligament. That's interesting. The next is like, it's interesting to hear like burnout in the 40s. You know, he's not like got social sure. media burnout, but he still has this sort of, I have to step away. And it's a sort of similar thing. It's the the burnout of not just the creative effort, but also like the inbound mail and all of the publicity and all this stuff and realizing like that's not what he wants. Everyone's story is unique. Everyone's experience is unique. But how does... Yeah, I guess what are some more takeaways for you? Or reiterate the the core takeaway again for me. Yeah, I mean, the thing that really sticks out is this kind of drive towards transformation here. So T.S. Eliot said that the middle-aged artist has got to either, like, 
basically quit, transform himself, or like, I think he says something like meticulously recreate the thing, like even better. Like those are like the choices. And I just think this is a, this is an example of the, the recreating in a time where everybody would be telling him, well, I mean, just think about this transported to today. If you wrote a best-selling novel, that's the talk of everybody. What are you probably going to do? You're probably going to write another novel. I mean, he's or been three work- more. Like, yes, he's been course. working his whole life to do this, and he finally becomes the established writer, and it's kind of a hot mess. Like, he's like, I've been working for this, and now it's not what I want, and I feel like I'm exhausted doing the thing that I love, and I just have to do something different. And so for me, I think it it's a picture of like, okay, you, you, maybe you don't have to force it. Like if something's, if you're getting friction with something, if something's, you know, feels like it's literally snapping, then it's like, you go off, do something else. Like take those interests. I mean, for him, marine biology, he was super interested in it. So it's not literature, it's not poetry, it's not like literary things. Like he had an interest in marine biology. So he just takes, he picks up another interest and he pursues that and it kind of re-sparks so many of the things that he does in his in his fiction. So there are, there are beautiful sections of Sea Cortez written by a novelist. And you know it's a novelist because he's got all the tricks of a novelist, right? He's talking about the narrative. He's setting a scene. He's talking about the characters and people they encounter. So he's doing the thing that he said he's not going to do anymore, but he's doing it with a kind of a fresh new perspective. And so I think it's, what I kind of take away for it is one, it, just the reassurance that great artists often have doubts. They experience burnout. They have personal and creative crises you know, during their lives, even at the height of their fame. And you can move forward. And I love that he goes on an adventure with his friend. Like, that's just so, it's so great. I mean, he, he says, I need new material. I need something new. I've got to transform. Like, let's go on this adventure. Let me follow my interests. Let's, and he was getting money at this, you know, he's getting a lot of cash flow. So they, you know, they set up an expedition to go out into the Gulf of Mexico and do this, this collecting trip. And I think it was just so important to, to realign not only to refine his thinking, but to kind of re-spark his desire for creative work and the meaningfulness of that after what seemed like kind of a, yeah, a chaotic crash almost after grapes. So there's almost a theory, like, it's like you finish the work, you burn out, but then you you always come back to the creative work, I guess is one way of saying it. You know, it's like yeah. you get to the end of the work and you're like, I can't do this anymore. But it's like basically like getting to the end of your workout and being like, I can't do this anymore. It's like, well, you just did it. So like, don't think about can you do good. it again? Just breathe, take a break, come back later. But the time scale is so different that it's hard to fathom because it's not like going to the gym Tuesday, coming back Wednesday. It's like working on an album for a year, taking six months off. But you're like, in those six months, where's your headspace? Are you feeling like peaceful about it? Or are you like, ah, I need to be doing something. I should be. Like for me, I think it's easy to focus on like these low level timescales, like oh, I'm not doing enough these weeks and months. But then when you zoom out, it's like, this is a transformation, a shift of like months and years. I don't know. It's, I just take another way of saying, I take encouragement as well from the creative doubts, the burnout, the need for space and like just going on an adventure and you got to live life. You have to have material if you're going to make something or, or have some totally voice and something to say. And, you know, I love how Stomach writes too. This is kind of a, a little insight into his process. He, he wasn't a note taker. 
so when he goes, you know, his travels with Charlie, trip across America, didn't take notes. And on the Sea of Cortez, he doesn't. So his his buddy, Ed Ricketts, he takes a daily journal. And so Steinbeck referenced that journal to kind of like help get the timeline of what they did. But he loved to say like, he's got a line in travels that things have to ferment, right? That things have to like sit inside of him before they're expressed. And so it's, it's cool too that, you know, during the process of the Sea of Cortez, he was there 100% present. Like, he's not, like, in the back, like, saying, ooh, this may be a cool angle on this, and, like, jotting down all these notes. Like, he's living it. They're doing it. They're having these long discussions about, you know, proper scientific and phenomenological thinking. They're doing this, and he's there, 100% present. And then later, after the voyage, he circles back to write. So he does, you know, most of the writing in early 1941, from January to July. And so that's, you know, a fair amount of time after they get back. So they get back in April of 1940, and then he's doing some other, he's doing some other things in between. But, you know, the writing of Cortez doesn't happen for another several months. That's interesting. Yeah. But he liked to let things simmer. And it's just, there's such an, there's such an emphasis, like you said, of like, of being there, of experiencing it, because otherwise, what are you going to give people? And I think that's right. a temptation to like, like be mining life for stuff. And yes, it is <laughs> totally just like, how can I suck all that creative ideas out of this mm-hmm. experience? And like, go, you're going straight to, ooh, this is a song idea. I'm going to write this down. I'm going to do this, that. And yeah. you're kind of, you're not letting things run their course and just going with the flow almost. And it's pulling you out of the moment and like, not in a, yeah, I mean, it sounds kind of cliche, but yeah, I mean, it's pulling you out of the experience. And it's like the experience is the thing that you really need to understand to be able to articulate it creatively. And I think Steinbeck was really good at that. Like, there's a certain kind of patience that he would do with these sort of things. So, yeah, okay, I need I need the journal from Ed, what we actually did. But then what stands out in my memory? What has been memorable? Like, what are the things that define the trip now in a distance? And so I think it's just a cool note about his process. That's a very, they're very interesting note. And there's all that counter examples that are coming to mind because I sure. feel like there could be value in taking notes and different things. Totally. But, and thinking of the John McPhee book I'm reading right now, where he is in the seat with a truck driver writing a chapter about this story from taking a hazardous chemical from like the Southeast all the way to the Pacific Northwest, 2,800 miles. And he's sitting there on the side. I, I imagine he's sketching and writing these details down, but maybe not. But man, that transformation, that idea of taking a trip or a space after, it's kind of the dream in some sense. Like Cal Newport recently said this on his podcast. There's kind of this trend where as you do more remarkable work and get more experience, what happens is you get way more opportunities. And then the thing that you kind of want is you work really hard and you get more remarkable skills. And then that leads you to have what he calls career capital, which then lets you do more interesting stuff or like have to work less or choose what you work on. But then you get inundated with all these requests from people. And then what happens is you start to say yes to them. He talked about, you know, the YouTuber who started doing something simple, but then they're all of a sudden they've got a product and then a deal and then sponsorships and they're doing five other things and they're working on the the Netflix show. And it's like their life becomes something that maybe they don't even want because they're just saying yes to every opportunity. But what you see here is Steinbeck gets to the top of his career in this moment, or at least a pinnacle of his career. And then he he's like, no, I'm not going to go. He's probably got a huge influx of opportunity and things he could do and new books and just money, 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 opportunity. And he just like 
no, I'm going to choose to, and it seems like it's more out of a crisis and not out of like a peaceful place, but it seems like I'm going to do the thing that I want to pursue. Like I'm going to, I want to explore and I want to step away. I'm not just going to be like handcuffed to this. I'm actually going to use the capital, the opportunity that I've been given to move in the direction I want to go. So that's great. Something to think about is that he did take some of the opportunities. So, I mean, he did work on screenplays of, of Mice and Men and of Grapes of Wrath, like as they were, you know, as they were popular. So he did that. But you're absolutely right. He didn't just kind of start to scramble after what was working. I think that's what kind of inspires me in a lot of ways. Like he recognized like, like Grapes was, he had to write it, but he didn't want to keep writing it. Although they, he constantly complained, and he complained to his fellow uh, American writer, John O'Hara. Like, they just they want us to keep writing the same things because they know they'll sell. And so even in the 1940s, like, there's the temptation to just kind of rip off yourself and keep doing the same stuff. And Steinbeck was just, he had no patience for it. Like, he was like, yeah, Grapes has been done. I did it the very best I could. I may never do anything that good again, but it's time to do something new. And I just love that. I just love that he did that. Well, this is a great episode, man. The very fun first case study. Any other thoughts before we wrap? No, I mean, I'd love to hear, you know, if people enjoy this, who do you want to hear us talk about? Who, who interests you? Are there stories that inspire you? Is this worth us doing? Yeah, totally. Well, that's the craft. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. If you like this episode, please follow the show so that you get notified about the new ones that come out. We drop a new episode every two weeks on Wednesday mornings. And also just please send the link to one friend that you think would enjoy this. That helps us so much. If you have any ideas for other people we should have on the show, topics we should talk about, or even just feedback on how we can improve, you can send us an email at heycraftpodcast at gmail.com. Lastly, our cover art was designed by Elizabeth Newell. You can learn more about her work at elizabethnewell.work or on Instagram at elizabethisadesigner. Thanks for listening. See you in two weeks.